Hello everyone, this is Math for Knitters, show 46, and I'm your host, Laura. <laughs> this week I'm going to talk about one of the more fascinating things I discovered when I was researching the life and the history of socks, which is what some people do when they don't have socks. Um, and I think this could um, possibly tell us about life before socks for certain people, but I think it, it's just interesting on its own too. So the Russian army in particular held on to this for a very, very long time. They actually only officially stopped using uh, what are called foot cloths or port yankee in 2013. So just a few years ago, um, they had a nickname too as uh, being chemical weapons, and I'll tell you some more details about that. But Basically, uh, there's a strip of cloth and you wrap it around your foot and you shove that into your boot and you go on with your day. <laughs> and supposedly soldiers from Finland, Germany, and Eastern Europe um, all wore foot cloths of some kind, uh, well into the 19th century at least, and sometimes a little bit later. So why would you do this uh, to yourself or to your soldiers? Um, foot wraps are definitely cheaper and faster to produce than socks. I could see you making them from old clothes or other linens even. They dry faster than socks. Uh, you can rewrap them in a new direction so they can still be used even if they have a worn spot or a hole. And being able to wrap something more than one way actually helps does prevent wearing spots in the first place, right? Um, there was actually a supposedly very popular knitting pattern uh, during World War II for socks that don't have a heel exactly. Um, they're kind of a spiral rib, and so every time you put them on, in theory, you're putting your heel in a different spot, and so they don't wear out as quickly as socks that have a heel in them. But the reusable nature of these foot cloths isn't always such a great thing. My favorite tales of Port Yankee have to do with the smell. <laughs> I read an article from the Moscow Times that said, in part, uh, the soldiers believed that footcloth smell could defeat any enemy because no European or American can deal with such a smell. They would just smell it and die instantly. <laughs> and they said that they just, they just stank so terribly. Um, and another thing is that if you have foot cloths, and especially if you have more than one pair, if your boots don't quite fit, like maybe they're too big, you could wrap multiple sets of cloths to get your boots to fit. Of course, if you have socks, you can do that with socks too. But it's one of the reasons that soldiers actually, some people were relatively unhappy to see them go um, and be replaced with socks, which is so interesting. But I also do have a general theory that people who didn't or don't wear socks and shoes every day just have some less sensitive feet than those of us who do. I know that in the summer when I don't wear socks every day, um, I tend to wear, you know, shoes that don't need socks. My feet do get harder than when, in the winter when I'm wearing nice cozy woolen socks and, and heavy boots. So a soldier in a BBC article said that his feet became so hard that you can drive nails in with your toes. Now, I'm not sure if anybody actually used their feet as a hammer, <laughs> but that does show the level of toughness um, achieved 
through not wearing socks. Um, so to me, that's a good reason to wear socks, but you know, that's me. And sorry, I'm messing with my notes as I'm talking to you. So that's my little history tale for today. And I have links to all the articles that I just talked about on the blog. But uh, I also want to talk to you a little bit on a personal side about my own hubris. <laughs> so as modern knitters and knit designers, it's really easy to get carried away and think that the way that we do things is better than people in the past. We're working with different assumptions, expectations, our audiences, our publishers, and, and we, we're all, we're all different from even 50 years ago. Um, so a little over a year ago now, one of my knitting students brought me a well-loved slipper that her mother made her about 30 years before. And she asked me if I could write the pattern from it. So it was pretty simple. I kind of did my best. And then about a week later, a friend of mine dropped an old booklet on my desk. And I think he was kind of teasing me, but it made me really happy because right in the booklet was a pattern for either those slippers or their very, very close kin because they basically look exactly the same. This booklet was from the Bernard Ullman Company, um, and they call them Slippers Number 2260, so, you know, very fancy name. <laughs> um, and this was published in 1976, but I think the pattern's probably at least as old as 1950, um, and if you look around enough, you'll, you'll find several versions of it. And when I shared it on Facebook um, and Pinterest, a lot of people told me about how they learned to knit from this pattern. One of my knitting students is actually a recovered stroke victim, and she's very excited because she's taking the class basically to learn to knit again. And this is a pattern that she learned to knit on originally um, over 50 years ago. So that's kind of fun for me. So I thought the pattern would be perfect. So I just photocopied it and kind of handed it out in class. And as we worked through it, uh, they kind of got some stumbling blocks in there. Um, and I thought, you know, I should really write this over again to make it fit, you know, modern, modern writing. So I rewrote it. Um, it didn't have SSKs, for example, because SSKs hadn't been invented yet. So I added that in, um, added some slip stitches at the beginning of most of the rows so that when you go to seam at the end, you can actually see where you need to stop seaming because that's when the slip stitches start, uh, which is kind of an idea I took a little bit from sewing, which is, Knitters don't get this as much. We're expected to measure and stitch at the same time. And in sewing, if you're supposed to stop and start in a specific spot, there's a mark for you. <laughs> so in a way, I kind of I kind of added that. Um, and I'm also not crazy about counting stitches on every other row, which is what the original had you do. So I put in stitch markers, uh, and then I added metric measurements. So it's 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 really a new pattern, but you know, off of an old idea. The original pattern was really, really concise. I actually covered it up completely with just my iPhone, and I don't have one of the huge ones. But the original author did do something really well that I did not do very well. Um, the toe of the slipper is all in ribbing, and there are two rows of decreases. So I wrote out stitch-by-stitch -stitch instructions, um, and then they just wrote work six stitches, you know, and then decrease and blah, blah, blah. Well, I completely messed up the second decrease row. If you follow my instructions to a T, your ribbing will actually be off on that last row. It doesn't really show, but I'm sure it would be super frustrating to get all the way to the end, have your ribbing look so nice and neat, and then have the last row be wrong. 
So I could have charted the toe. I probably should have. Instead, I just wrote it all out stitch by stitch. And if you look on the show notes, you can see the crazy, crazy, crazy looking notes that I made. <laughs> but it looks like part of the problem is that I thought the center stitch would be the same uh, for every row, for every size, and it's not. And I, I explain a little more in the notes why that is. Um, but basically, when you're repeating K1P1 or P1K1, uh, a certain number of times, you end up with a different stitch in the center of, of each row, depending on how many times you're repeating. Um, you know, K1P1 is a set of two, and there's a, you know, there's a beginning stitch at the end, which makes it an odd number of stitches uh, for the whole set. And I, I guess I just kind of thought, oh yeah, that's going to work out. And um, yeah, it turns out that it doesn't. <laughs> So if you work, like for instance, if you say P1, K1, P1, that is an odd number of stitches, and it begins and ends with a P1, and the stitch in the center is a K1. If you work P1, K1, P1, K1, P1, five stitches instead of three, then you still have an odd number of stitches, you still have a beginning and end with a P1, and the center stitch is now a P1. Which kind of scares me um, because uh, I use slip stitches a lot. Slip, slip one, knit one, slip one, knit one. And I have never noticed this before. Um, so that might explain, I have been getting questions on Ravelry about one size of one of my sock patterns for my book. It's the Stree sock pattern and this very, very nice knitter gave me very detailed notes about what she did. And I'm guessing what happened is I messed up um, because of this. So I need to look closely at her notes and figure out uh, what the mistake is and put a correction on the blog for the book. Um, so I am sorry and thank you to nice knitter whose name I can't remember and I'm sorry. But um, I, so I've, I've, I've written all these crazy notes and I think I have it figured out um, and I think I'm going to just have a line before the final row that's like, look, if you want to just keep things in pattern and you think you can just work it out yourself, you know, power to you. Go for it. Um, if you want to follow stitch by stitch instructions, those you know, those are the next. I'm going to test it at this time before I actually publish it, republish it. Um, and if you've already bought the pattern, uh, I am sorry. And um, I'll send an update to everybody who bought the pattern when I finish and have a complete, correct, stitch by stitch, clear, modern knitting pattern. That's it. Tales of stinky feet and my mistake. Possibly mistakes. But oh well. <laughs> I'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.